Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 16? We've come to verses 19 through 31. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. One word, two destinies. We keep that in mind, so, as we look at the scriptures here. First, we're introduced to the cast. And here we go. There was a certain rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen, making a merry feast sumptuously every day. Now a certain poor man named Lazarus was cast at his gate, being full of sores and desiring to be fed from that falling from the table of the rich man. Even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. There's only one character here in this dramatic scene who is named Lazarus. His name is a form of a name that is seen in the Old Testament, Eleazar, which means the one whom God helps. So immediately in the name of Lazarus, we are introduced to the grace of God. And so then he is named the rich man is not named. Sometimes you'll read or study perhaps this parable and they will give the name Dives to the rich man, but that is only, that is the word in the Latin Vulgate, which is the translation of the New Testament Greek of the word rich man. That's not really a name. So the rich man is never named. As a matter of fact, in all of the parables of Jesus, this is the only parable where a character is named. So then, we see here the contrast that exists. A rich man and a poor man. This isn't just a poor man. You, up here, tokas, right after verse 20, the first word, that's the, that is the harshest Greek word for poverty. It is to be absolutely impoverished such that the person who is poor in this way has absolutely no capacity to help himself. In this case, we see that it's a, a cripple man, possibly a leper, and we know that he can't move about himself because it says he was cast at the gate of the rich man. That's a hard word, too, uh, in the Greek. Uh, it, it, means, it means to be thrown down. Somebody maybe wrapped him up in sheets if he was leprous so that they wouldn't touch him and had enough compassion to take him to another place where perhaps he could be fed something. 
So they just threw him down at the gate of the rich man's estate. He was full of sores, and the dogs were licking his sores. These, the, the Greek word speaks of an oozing ulcer. It's not very pleasant. The guy didn't take baths. If he was a leper, if he was a leper, his toes and his fingers and then other parts of his limbs on up, somewhere along there he would have died, would have been falling off. And he would have no feeling in his extremities if he was a leper. It explains how the dogs were able to come and not just lick, but chew on his sores. Now these weren't, you know, this, this wasn't the rich man's uh, Doberman pinchers or his, his wife's chihuahuas. These, these were feral dogs. People in that society weren't that given over to pet dogs. Dogs existed usually in packs and they weren't the friendliest things in the world. And so from time to time, somebody would bring the crumbs that fell off the stuff that fell off the table. Now, here's the way it would have been in the, back in the feast. All kind of food, a party, maybe a little music, laughter. And there would be all kind of dips here to dip the bread in. Different flavors, you know, there would be some... <laughs> There'll be some cheese dip and hot sauce and salsa. Whatever you dip, maybe olive oil. Well, I go to some place, we go to some place that brings us this olive oil, has a little black stuff in it. You press your bread down in that stuff. I hope that's pepper. I don't know what that black stuff is, but it sure is good. Maybe they had some of that. They'd had several kinds of dips. That's how they eat. Now, if I've got olive oil, they didn't have forks and stuff. They just took the bread, right? Tore off a piece and started dipping the way they wanted to. I don't know how much backwash there was in all of those little dippers there, but uh, when somebody would eat, take a big bite, and maybe he didn't like that particular taste, and he had some on his finger, he would wipe his finger with his bread, and then he'd throw the bread down and go to the next piece of bread. There would be servants always cleaning that stuff up from out under the table. They would carry it out to the gate where sooner or later other servants would have gathered it and taken it, taken it to the, the dump known as Gehenna actually in Jerusalem. But before somebody came to get it, Lazarus would do the best he could to get something off of the pavement and put it in his mouth to eat it. Pathetic. The dogs were there roaming around and he probably was getting bitten by dogs who wanted the who wanted the crumbs that had been cast out. See, obviously from the language, he couldn't walk, so 
He was taking the stuff that was brought out and thrown away to be gathered and taken to the garbage dump. His competition would have been these dogs. And while they were there, the, the putrefied odor of Lazarus' ulcerous sores would have also been attractive to these dogs. So they would have licked his sores, chewed on them some, but if he was a leper, he couldn't feel it. Very, very graphic scene that Christ gives for those who are listening. Now remember, the Pharisees are still here and they're still scoffing at the teachings of Jesus, the teachings that contrasted grace and law. To be, to be saved by the grace of God or to falsely believe that you could work your way into heaven. This is an interesting, they're all interesting, but this parable has two or three things that none of the other parables have. The first, of course, is it's the only parable that gives the name of one of the characters. And then by the time we get to the end of the passage, the contrast that is made or the contrasts that are made between Lazarus and the rich man. So in giving the parable, Christ gives a name that bespeaks grace. The one whom God helps. God can't help himself. God helps him. Helpless we are before God. We cannot save ourselves. God must save us. So then, from the cast, let's look at the contrast. It happened then that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. Then the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, having lifted up his eyes, being in torments, he sees Abraham from a long distance and Lazarus in his bosom. Here was a rich man who became worse than a poor man. Here's a poor man who became greater than a rich man. Here is a man who was humiliated on earth and given great honor and dignity in heaven. Because you see, it says that he was carried to the bosom of Abraham. Uh, now think about this. They didn't have the great New Testament teachings that Christ gave to his, his apostles and then the Holy Spirit through the apostles and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is given the church. They had, they had a, of course, a thought of a separation between good and evil. But everybody who was there, Pharisee and the other Jews whom Christ was discipling, 
would have understood that wherever Abraham was, that's where heaven was. Remember some time back in this long general time frame, we talked about how when this official of the Pharisees gave this feast and people would have, the Pharisees would have really scuffled among themselves to see who could get the chief seat. Because the closer you were to the host, the main guy, the more important you were. Well, here, Christ references that in this parable. Because if you were in the bosom of Abraham, that means that Abraham had his arm around you and you were leaning upon the bosom of Abraham. And up to this point in time, Abraham would have been considered by those who were in the hearing of Jesus' parable. He would have been considered the saintliest, the greatest of God's children because of the great promises that God had made him just out of, by grace. God saved him. Talked about his descendants and all that God would do for them. So here is a guy who had been humiliated on earth but now had great dignity in heaven because he was given a chief seat right there with Abraham in his bosom with Abraham's arms around him, loving him. See the contrast. Then here is one who had great desires on earth but has more than he could possibly ever desire in heaven. Here's a guy who had no needs on earth, but now passing the portal of death, everything has changed. He has nothing but needs. He has absolutely nothing on his own. One was carried away by the angels. Now these are... This is the Son of God. He knows how this is going to happen. Someday, every one of us will stand at the gate of death unless the Lord comes. If we are in Christ, we will find ourselves surrounded by angels ready to waft us into glory. Take us into the presence of Christ. He was carried away by the angels. Guardian angel. This is a gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. Standing there. And while I'm passing from life to life. Maybe he's conversing with me as earth gets dim and glory gets brighter. Maybe I can hear the increasing volume of this angel's voice who's there with his buddies laughing and talking about the stupid things that I've done in my life. <laughs> Punching the other guy. I remember when this guy did thus and so, dumbest thing I ever saw. I don't know how he survived, but by the grace of God, I was there. I was on duty. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. This is the way I see it. 
You know what? I've been by the side of a lot of dying saints. There's another set of eyes that you have that are closed right now, but it'll open then. And when it's done and the last breath assigned by my creator has been drawn, I see that guardian angel looking at me and I'm standing up in a spiritual sense. He's putting his arm around these other guys, patting me on. And the guardian angel says, man, ain't you glad that's over with? And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I am glad. This is looking better all the time. And he takes me on a trip unlike any that you have ever experienced. We're told that heaven is the third heaven. So it's beyond the sky and beyond outer space, and it's there. I wouldn't have known how to get there. But these guys will carry me. I don't know if you carry overweightness into spiritual life or not. It may take a bunch of them for me. Carried away by the angels and seated right next to one of the main guys there, Abraham. Had no room for him in the feast of the rich man. Maybe he would get something that they threw on the floor after they wiped the sauce or the oil off their hands for a fresh piece of bread and another more palatable sauce for dipping. Not having to fight with feral mongrel dogs to suffer the humiliation of nastiness and despite of other people, but to have honor and dignity by the command of our Lord to be seated in this most important place. One was carried away by the angels on an exciting adventure. The other, he was buried. And it gets worse from there for him. In Hades, listen, there are three words that are translated hell in the Greek text. One of them is Hades. It is the abode, it is the present abode of the wicked dead. Souls of unsaved, unbelievers, Sink to that place. People may say, I just don't believe that stuff. You won't be dead that long until you do. Now, another unique thing about this parable is it's the, listen, it is the only place in the Bible where a witness gives a testimony of what hell is like. You won't find another testimony, though, who wants to know 
You won't find another testimony in Scripture from a person who is there giving an eyewitness account. Jesus is teaching this. Hades. Tartarus is another Greek word. It means it means it is the lower it is the lower compartment of Hades. It's only used once in the Bible, and it's described as the place where fallen angels are chained. They are so bad and so wicked. They don't even qualify to be a demon. They're not allowed access to the human race. That's Tartarus. The lowest dungeon presently. But then there's Gehenna. That is the phone. And Jesus, except for James, in one place, the tongue is set on fire by the flames of Gehenna. Except for that one place in the Bible, Jesus is the only one who uses the word. It is the final it is the final consignment place of the wicked who are raised at the great white throne, the lake of fire. That's why they called their garbage dump Gehenna. Gehenna was a place where they had sacrificed their children, the Israelites. And it was in a time of revival and renewal, it was so despicable to them, they said, you know, a place like that is only fit for our garbage. And so Lazarus, being so pathetic and nasty, and if he had leprosy, he would, he would have been certainly cursed and no one wanted to touch him. And his body, when he died, would be dragged and thrown into that place. Now there's the contrast for you. But in reality, he lives. And in reality, the guy who probably ordered his being dragged and thrown into that place is the guy who really is headed for that place. Hades is death row. Gehenna is the place of execution. Man, it's the electric chair. Christ said of Gehenna, the worm never dies. The fire is never quenched. And it's the place of outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now that's the lake of fire. Nobody's in the lake of fire yet. Sadly, a lot of folks are in Hades and they'll never get out. They're on death row awaiting execution. That's what's happening to them. Even though they are disembodied, yet still they feel I've told you the story about a guy whose wife played the piano for a quartet that we used to travel around with when I was in a quartet. Lost his arm in a terrible accident in Goodyear. Torn off at the shoulder. Pat and I ran into him some years later and he was working in a furniture store. And I said... Bobby, do you ever, you ever feel that arm? So yeah, he said it's sticking out right now. He said I, I keep, I keep dodging furniture in here, and there's nothing there to dodge. It's his soul. His soul carries with him how God created him. Don't you see? 
So this guy, he still has a tongue in a soulish sense. He still has eyes. He has a being lifting up his eyes, being in torments. He sees. He has sensitivity in his condemned state he can still reflect on the regret of being lost and this will happen, this will happen forever that's not the worst of it see the word torments in the Greek is in, is in uh, plural he has more than one kind of torment how do you torment a disembodied soul? It's bound to be worse, much worse than to torment someone who is still in his physical body. All the Lord will give to us is that somebody in Hades is in torments and there's more than one kind. And he has this great sense of lostness. So he cries out. He can speak. He can cry. That's what they do. They cry and weep and wail in Hades. It never stops. And they're nameless. It doesn't matter who you are in hell. You're nobody. Nobody. You have no identity. You just are there, you know. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. He still thinks he can give orders. That he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm suffering in this flame. A flame so special that a disembodied soul can suffer from it. I'm suffering. I'm in torments. I have memories that haunt me. My life haunts me. Is there any comfort for me at all? Short answer, no. There's not. So, Abraham said, child, you fully received good things in your life. Lazarus received evil things in his life. But now here he's comforted. You're now suffering. And besides all these things, a great chasm has been fixed. Now that is in the perfect tense in the Greek. That means that it's an action that occurred in the past. It was, it was completed. It's been done. But the results of it and what it did carries on into the future and keeps going. In other words... Rich man, you're there forever. You'll never get out. This chasm has been fixed between us so that those desiring to pass from here to you are not able, nor can they pass from there to us. No more chances. Man, you're dead. That's it. No other way. The unnamed new resident of hell screaming and crying and remembering 
and longing and discomfited, to say the least, tormented and suffering. Lazarus, Eleazar, the one whom God helps, somewhere along the way, Lazarus in faith knew that if nobody else would help him, God would help him. And by his faith, you see here are the Pharisees listening to this and as they're listening and they listen to the two guys that die, they think of the rich man before that happens. And say, yeah, he's, he's blessed. He's blessed by God. You know, that's how, that, was their, that was their way of thinking about people. If you were rich, it's because God was blessing you and God just decided that you were very good. And if you were poor, you were cursed and you just weren't any good at all. It's the Job mentality. It's, you even saw that kind of mentality back when Job's friends tried to, quote, comfort him, close quote. Imagine the shock when the Son of God says, you know what, these guys who always helped themselves and thought that they could demand heaven, they thought that all that they had in life was enough for them to behave themselves in such a way that God would honor them by bringing them to heaven. They were totally wrong because they rejected grace and lived by religion. And this nasty guy, Lazarus, to their shock, is the one who is not just seated with Abraham, but being embraced by Abraham. And the sad news is, you'll never be able to come here you'll never be able to receive any comfort in any way because the chasm is fixed. Fixed. He then said, well, then I implore you, Father, that you would send him, this is Lazarus, send him to the house of my father, for I have five brothers. They don't understand hell. They don't know about hell. What he's saying is, my five brothers are just as arrogant and proud as I was. So that he might warn them that they might not come to this place of torment. That brings me to the final part. I call it the confines declared by God. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the Bible. The word of God is more powerful than even a dead man who would come back to life. They have the Bible. Let them pay attention to the word of God. Moses and the prophets. There's enough in Moses and the prophets to teach people how to be saved. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one from the dead should go to them, they will repent. Now here's, this reveals the heart of a hell dweller. No remorse, 
No cry for forgiveness. Not even the slightest respect for the Bible. Still that way. All of eternity. Delivered into a place that has some sort of maggot that can never die. A flame that will never stop. A pain that will never ease. A cry and a squeal that will never be silenced. It's unthinkable. To walk away from the Son of God. To deny, to reject the Son of God. I don't want to send them the Bible. I want them to see this guy that died. And let him go. Here's how the story ends. But he said to him, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, if they won't hear the Bible, then not even if one should arise from the dead, Will they be persuaded? The phone is hung up. The conversation is over. No help. No comfort. No name. No identity. Nothing. Forever. The worst is yet to come because now Hades will give up its dead at the great white throne. This compartment of the unsaved dead will, at the end of all things, spew up the inhabitants of Hades and they will stand in a corruptible body designed. To feel the gnawing of a maggot forever, the sting of a flame forever, emotionally to scream and cry, knowing that there'll never be help but beg for it anyway, forever, cursing God forever, still in disbelief of the Word of God forever. That's how powerful the Word of God is. Ignore and neglect the Word of God. Reject the Son of God. Laugh at the grace of God. Believe that you can work your way into heaven. And hell is your destiny. And the word that was given to this guy, this unnamed man, will be the same word for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to the scriptures, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and then call out to him in confession to save you. God is bound by his word to save you because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In just a, a minute, I'll ask you to stand.
And we're going to sing a song of invitation. Make an appeal to you if you're here without Christ. Please don't go out that way. Maybe you're here and you'd come to Christ today. In just a moment, when we begin singing, would you just come and take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to be saved today. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, but you know that this is where God wants you to plant your life as a believer. Come and join this fellowship of believers and help us to preach the grace of God to this generation. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?